Amen. Go ahead and be seated for a moment. <clears throat> I, may, I may actually let you stay seated. We'll see here. Uh, <clears throat> now, maybe no one else has this problem. So I'll just pretend I'm the only one, and if it doesn't apply to you, you can ignore me. Is that all right? So it's okay with two or three people. It's okay. So we're going to keep going. So um, it's interesting that often as adults, uh, especially during, I'm just telling you, especially during times like this uh, with the, you know, things like the, the pandemic. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't a pandemic, it'd be something else. Okay, there's, now granted, I, I've said before and I'll say it again, they, they don't have... Uh, there's no Pandemics 101 in any Bible school I have ever seen in my whole life, all the way up to doctorate level. They don't cover stuff like this. So uh, it's been very interesting. So this is unusual in some sense for, it's not unusual for human history. It's happened more than once and way more than once and with a lot worse results than we have had currently. Um, honestly, I think as Americans, we're just... Forgive me, but I think we're so soft that something like this shocks our sensibilities, and we forget that for much of the world, for much of history, uh, this would have been almost laughed at. And I'm not trying to make fun of it by any stretch, because they've faced death in much worse numbers. Uh, but on top of that, just add the whole thing with the election going on and. I mean, it, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to try to speak politically about politics, but it bothers me that our kids uh, probably won't ever know again a winner and a loser on election night with a phone call from the loser congratulating the winner. And uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I just tell you, I, and I remember that in my lifetime, multiple elections. Um, where it, and it, I'm just telling you, it seems like the the violence and the the uh, distance between the two sides is, is starting to border on as great or greater. And I'm speaking as someone who knows of some history than it was prior to the Civil War. Uh, matter of fact, the vitriol, the verbal vitriol between both sides is actually worse than it was prior to the Civil War. And I'm not suggesting that there's going to be another Civil War. That's not, that's not my intent. I'm not promoting it. I'm not looking for it. I would not support it. Um, I hate it because Civil War, uh, everybody has to choose a side. Well, I wouldn't choose a side. Oh, no, you'd be forced to because if you didn't pick a side, they would both be... Ca Anyways, that's a whole... Just study some more history on that. It's just not much fun. But we live in a time that is very unsettling. Uh, and all those, all the extra things that all the, these problems create. You know, the economic things, the school problems, the local problems, the local arguments, local arguments even in our city, um, you know, like the recent public meetings here and in Twin Falls about the masks and, you know, and the, the amount of emotion around it or not around it. And it's easy as adults. So I'm going to call this the mini message before the message. You all okay with that? It's easy as adults for us to forget that we're not the only ones experiencing the issues. And sometimes it takes uh, maybe a little bit of a surprise or, uh, I don't know, a sideways comment for us to realize that 
Children in this day and age are not unaffected by this. The problem is, is they don't always know why they're feeling like they're feeling. I'm just telling you. Uh, because when you go home and parents are unsettled, or you go to grandpa's house and grandma and grandpa are unsettled, or you, hear, or you listen to them hearing the news and the people on the news are unsettled, and, the, and all the stuff you know, that we're listening, the constant input of our life right now is unsettling. Okay? I mean, conversations between friends are unsettling or a result of unsettled events. Um, as a matter of fact, I have heard more than one story of late of friends that are no longer friends because of some of the events that have happened of late. And that's a shame. And I was reminded to turn uh, to Psalm 56. So this is, this is for all the kids. So I'm talking to all the kids. And I'm talking to any one of you who interacts with kids. Okay? Uh, so let me talk to all the kids. I want to say if you're, let's just say, we'll say 17 and under. 17 and under. I know some of you don't think you're kids, but I still think I'm a kid in some areas. But have you, have you have, so I don't know, if, can all the kids look at me a sec? Everybody look at me a sec. If you can admit it, if you've ever been afraid, would you raise your hand? Okay, now let me talk to the adults. Adults, adults, if you've ever been afraid, can you raise your hand? Look around, kids. Look around. <laughs> uh, I'm just telling you, fear is universal. Everybody's been scared. Uh, and sometimes you don't know why. I, I'm just telling you, there's times I have, it's weird, you talk to adults and they'll say, I don't know what one, I just walked into the room and something freaked me out. I still don't know why I got freaked out, but I left. I understand, you know, there's, that's, there's weird things that happen. We get scared. Time, you know, and you know what? Does everybody know who King David is? King David, mighty warrior, sword, killed Goliath. You know who David is? You know? Yeah, he was scared. He was scared a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you read the Psalms, adults, you'll find out David expressed that fear often. In the Psalms. And I want, so let's go turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. There's some good verses that I think all adults need to look at. And all kids probably ought to memorize, and maybe some adults ought to help them do it. I don't know, but maybe uh, I heard one parent, they, with their child, they, they put a little sign on the wall by their bedroom that they could see from their bed. Some other parents took those cups that you can put the little photographs in and wrote the verse down on a piece of paper and stuck it inside that cup that you could drink out of that had this verse on it, and it's Psalm 56. I'm just going to look at parts of two verses. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. It says, What time I am afraid... Now this is David writing it, okay? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now look at what he says. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. That's right where we're going to stop. Look at there. It says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now that's an interesting thing because, you know, oftentimes when we're scared, kids, did you know that when, you're, when your parents get scared, that they also don't always know what to do with their being scared? Sometimes adults get scared and we don't know what to do with it either. And David has to remind us here for everyone. You, you, know what, you know what you do when you're scared? You trust in God. 
Well, well, what does that mean? You say, God is in control. That nowhere, nowhere in the midst of all my fear is God suddenly up there going, oops, I lost control. No, no God, God's still in control. Now, this is an interesting thing. So let me just talk to adults for a minute. I think often we, we don't talk about death right. Because death isn't death, you all, especially for believers. You all, you all understand that? Death is not death for a believer. Death is a change of location. It's a change of state. It's a change, it's, it's a change of existence, but it's not ceasing of anything except an old stinking body that most of us want to get rid of anyway. I don't cease to exist when I die. I don't. I'm, I'm still a person. I'm still loved by God. I am still, matter of fact, I, I get direct connection to God. I, and I think often we as believers sometimes allow the fear of death to come from the carnal side of us. That carnal side of us, is, which means this, the part of this body that doesn't want to disappear. But if you really look at it logically as a believer, we want this body to disappear because it's the last thing separating us from the perfection that God has promised in heaven. So there really is nothing to fear as a believer. So I want to look at kids and say, you know what, when you, all you kids, when you start being fearful, I don't care what the reason is. I don't care if you're scared of somebody, scared of something, scared of nothing, scared of I don't know what, scared of yourself, scared of someone else. It don't make a difference what is scaring you? There's, a, there's, what, there's one thing you need to do is you say, I'm going to trust God. Well, what does God say? Well, I don't know. Does God, does, does God say anywhere in the Bible that he cares for you? Does God say anywhere in the Bible that he loves you? What's John 3.16? For God so loved the world. God loves you. We need to never forget that. I don't care what's going on outside these walls. And let me just tell you, just because you say it, doesn't mean that all the emotions go away. Our, our, um, let me ask adults a second. Let me, I want to hear you all say it out loud. Are your emotions always trustworthy? Yeah. There's the answer. The whole thing where somebody says they saw a spider or they saw a mouse in the house and you open the silverware drawer and one of the forks shifts, you know, clink. What's everybody's immediate response? <laughs> Okay, you know, I mean, it's about then that you could play all sorts of tricks in the world. And you, you, could, you could throw, a, you know, a rolled up paper towel across the floor and get people to scream because they saw a mouse and there's the mouse. And why? Because emotions are liars. Emotions, emotions have a faster reaction than our, than our thinking process does. And emotions like to tell us that they're in charge. I'm scared. Well, I don't know what. Yeah, but I'm scared and you need to pay attention to my scared. No, you don't. My, my, daughter's, my daughter, and I, I figured out how to think of this on a new way, but what you need to do is when, you, when, you're, when your feeler starts telling your thinker what to think, we got problems. So your thinker needs to take control and tell your feeler to be quiet. That weren't the exact words I used, but you understand. Your feeler needs to every once in a while learn how to keep quiet and allow your thinker to take charge. So... What is true? Is, everybody, is God in control? Does God love you? Does God want the best for you? Well, then, next time you're fearful, in God, 
I will praise his word. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. Amen. And that's something you have to work on. Just because you say it don't mean that your feeler goes, oh yeah, well, you know, if that's all it is, fine, no problem. That's not how your feeler works. Your feeler sometimes needs a little encouragement. So put your thinker on, especially as a believer, and trust God's word. God loves you. God cares for you. He's in control. He wants the best for you. So let your thinker have the power of the Holy Spirit behind it, the power of the word of God. Amen. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. All right. All right. I need that one. So Romans 6. Romans 6. Uh, I, I feel like we might be doing a little bit of teaching through, the, through this a little bit. But it's, it has some pretty good direct points as well. Now Romans 6. I'm just telling you, the whole of Romans 6, the whole chapter is, is because of one verse in Romans chapter 5. Essentially, it's the, it's the logical result of what he's been building up to. It's the logical result of, um, well, it's just very logical. It's amazing how logical Paul is in his presentation. But, so if, if you remember, in chapter 5, he begins to talk about faith, the justification by faith, and what a blessing it is that we are now justified. Remember, the list is empty, that, you know, the, the things that, the list of our guilt is, is empty before God. It doesn't show up anything. And he talks about how that the love of God is now shed abroad in our hearts. And, and he begins to talk about how that, you know, remember he uses the, that, that, the dichotomy of Adam, you know, because Adam sinned, we all sinned, but because of Christ, because Christ uh, brought, you know, he died and resurrected, he brought righteousness, we all have access to righteousness. And then he says, and he talks about that over and over about this sin. He gets down to verse 18 of chapter 5, or verse 17, I'm sorry. He says, For if by one man's death reigned by one, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, or the sin, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So he keeps saying, Adam, Adam tore it up for all of us, but Jesus Christ changed it. Jesus Christ changed it. We all, we all sinned, and now we're all going to be made alive. Verse 19, again, he makes that same correlation for us. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law showed up. It's kind of like this. Uh, this is a good way to look at all these references where it talks about the law entering that the offense might abound. And there's, it's all through chapter 4, 5, and 6, I think maybe even into 7. It, you need to look at it like this. Man is fine until he's told he can't do something or he's told that something he's doing is wrong. Serious. We, we, we function fine in life. We function absolutely fine in life until, you know, I'm not a liar. Yeah, you're not a liar until suddenly you're in the spotlight by somebody saying that was wrong and you didn't think it was wrong. And suddenly white lies pop in your head like by the gazillions about why I'm going to change, why I'm going to explain away why I'm doing. Don't everybody looking at me like, I would never do that. You just did it. <laughs> in doing that, you did it. Or, or whenever, you know, we think we've been fine, like we've traveled 
30, 38 miles an hour on that 35-mile-an-hour road our whole life for the last 40 years, and now the police officer wants to stop me? Come on. Yeah, one amen out of that. Maybe, I should, maybe we should move it to the highway because that's where most people speed. Well, this place has always been, you know, they change the speed limit sign and, and you know, you didn't see it. So you're doing 70 and a 60 and they pull you over. Well, this has always been, this has always been 70 miles an hour. I mean, our, our, we are fine with authority until authority pl- points their finger at us. And that has been true, is true for all mankind until the day we die because the flesh doesn't like it. So when it says things like, for the law entered that the offense might abound, and, and later we'll even see, I believe it's here in chapter 6 where Paul says, for I was alive without the law once. And what he's saying was, I was doing fine. And then some law showed up and told me I was wrong. And I died. Yeah, because that's kind of how we function. We don't like it. That's when, sin, that's when sin in our life shows up, is when we bump into the law. Because I'm doing fine. I'm okay. But when we bump into the law, that's when our sin becomes, becomes real. Okay? And he says in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And look, this is the statement that chapter 6 is based on. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Of course, you understand the idea there is that there is is no sin so great that God's grace isn't great enough to offset. Okay? So no matter what sin resulted because of Adam, and Adam's sin was the worst because it... It destroyed all mankind of all time. Okay? You get the picture. And, it's a, and it was a semblance of the worst. You understand, again, it wasn't the eating of the fruit, whatever fruit it was. It wasn't the eating of the fruit that, it, that was sinful. It was man's choice to listen to the devil and not trust God. It was man's choice to ignore what God had said and choose his own way instead because the promise of wisdom equal with God is what came with the eating of that fruit, remember? So man was attracted by the equality with God. That's where the sin was, is, well, I don't need to trust God. I mean, why, if, I, why, if I can become just like God, why would I need to trust Him? I might as well just trust me because I'm the most trustworthy one I know, right? Isn't that, I'm afraid that is how we think. But that's, that's, what Adam, that's what Adam did. That's where the sin was. And, and that, that is typical of all sin. It's the same thing for all sin. Oh, it was just a little sin. It doesn't matter the size of the sin. Every sin says, I don't care what God says. I think I'm better on the throne than he is. That's what sin is. It doesn't matter the littleness or the bigness. It's saying that it doesn't matter what God says. I don't have to worship God by my submission to Him and obedience. I can put myself on the throne and choose what I'm going to do. And that's why sin is so wicked. And it says there is no sin. Verse 20 says there is no sin so wicked that God's grace can't abound above it. God's grace is big enough for all people's sin. Now, there are two questions in the book of or chapter 6 of Romans that are natural outcomes of the statement of where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. And the first one is in chapter 1. Okay? I'm sorry, verse 1. What shall we say then? Listen to the wording. It's important. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I personally believe that 
<laughs> I'm probably going to be a little, I'm a little off the wall here. I, I personally believe he, this first question is answering the smart Alex. Okay? Well, great, if sin, if sin abounds and grace more abounds, then let's just keep sinning so grace can keep coming. Okay? But at the same time, what Paul said, there are some people who are going to look at it and go, oh, now wait a sec. You mean if I sin, there's more grace? And their, their, their response is, are you saying then that we should sin more so that we can have grace more? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. That's the question he's answering. He says, what shall we say then? Should we just, the word continue here means to live. It doesn't mean I'm, it doesn't mean I'm just, this whole chapter, by the way, is not referencing people who are humans and sin. Okay, because all of us sin. He's not talking about the standard course of a human life in which sometimes we sin. Sometimes we do or are not supposed to. The idea here is of a living in sin. Continuing in the same exact way that we were prior to salvation. The word continuing in sin is living there, dwelling there. I, in other words, I was, a, I was a drunk rebel before I got saved, and I'm going to stay a drunk rebel after I got saved. And he says, he says to that in verse 2, what? God forbid! He says, no, that's not how this works. Well, he says, I'm not saying that a person who is saved now can just continue being on the same person they were this whole time in their life, and they're not, no, that, no, God forbid, that, that's not at all what I'm saying. Because I'm not at all promoting, and again, I think some of you men looked this before, but it's, the word is called antinomianism, this idea carried to an extreme. This idea of, of sin bringing grace carried to an extreme is what was called antinomianism. In other words, I'm going to, and the whole word is kind of mixed up because it was used to describe a lot of different things, but essentially the definition is I'm going to on purpose sin more so God can bring more grace. Now that's a wicked way to look at grace. The w- most wicked way to look at grace is that I have to sin to get it. That's essentially what that's saying. I have to sin to get it. And I, if I need more grace, then I need to sin more so I can get more grace. That's, that's an awful way to look at it. And he begins to take the rest of those few verses. Look what he says. And he uses this. The, it's not just an illustration, I believe. The more I look at this, it's not just the illustration of baptism. But he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like, that like now, now we have you know, a simile or a metaphor. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to stop there because he, he starts transitioning into the next portion here. But what he's saying is, baptism was my publicly saying that I recognize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, I died with him. And when Jesus was raised up, he was a new person. 
So also, when I'm coming up out of my bapti- up these baptismal waters, I am declaring that I am going to walk as a new person, for I have been changed. Baptism is a public statement that I am... Now listen to me. We have, I think even as Baptists across the board, we have, we have undermined the meaning of baptism by only making it a statement of belief. It's also, a, it's also, by this passage right here, it's a statement of intent in my future walk with Christ. It's saying that from now on, I intend to walk as a new person. Well, why would you say that? Because of the context. What's the context? We don't sin more so we can have grace more. Paul says, God forbid. No. When a person becomes a believer, their intent is that they are not going to walk as a sinner. They are going to walk in newness of life. I, I'm, I'm to the point, I re- really am to the point where I am not going to be baptizing someone immediately after they get saved unless I know very clearly they have a long understanding of what baptism is and means and why and what for and what they're stating when they get baptized. I want, I want them to understand completely that when you stand up, when you get up there in those waters and you get baptized, you are telling everybody out there, I'm not going to live like I used to live. I'm going to live like a person who's been risen with Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Uh, I'm going to live as a new person. Now, does that mean that you're never going to sin? No, because we're still in this human flesh. What Paul is talking about is continuing as we were. He's no, that can't happen. What are Paul's exact words? God forbid. Now, you know, if you're looking for the really short version of this, it's called repentance. The short word of this is repentance. I, 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 very, I very much, you know, when someone is dominated by a sin, if they're unwilling to admit they're being dominated by it, that's a problem. If they're unwilling to say, well, I don't want to do that anymore, but I don't know how to stop. Well, now we've got something we can work with. The, the willingness to say, I don't want to do that anymore, is Holy Spirit movement. Now we've got, now we've got hope. I don't want to live like that anymore. Why? Well, what does sin bring? What's the end of sin? Yeah. Lost one is conceived, bringeth forth death. Amen. And he says, now look what he says to believers. He's writing to believers here. He can only be writing to believers. Verse 11 he says, Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because you are. (laughs) You are dead unto sin. Sin, it says, now shall have no more dominion over you. What does that mean? It cannot reign. It's not the ruler anymore. Do you understand that? It's not the ruler. You realize before salvation, sin was the ruler. If, if, If your flesh wanted to do something and you could get away with it, what did you do? We even laugh about it now. We call it, we have a nice little colloquialism for it. Did you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar? There's a few other colloquialisms that I won't repeat here because they don't, they're not near as nice, but they're, they're that acknowledgement that, hey, we all do it. Are you hearing me? We all do it. The problem is with a believer saying is, no, 
Sin should not have that dominion anymore. You now have free choice to say, no, I don't want to do that. What do you mean free choice? That's why he says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Is your body easy to ignore? Yeah, how many of you have tried fasting? Does your body put up a fight? Your body puts up a fight before you even hit the first meal because your body knows what you're doing to it. And you even haven't even started yet by skipping the first meal and your body's already saying, I'm hungry, this is not, we got to get something to eat. I mean, for heaven's sakes, those of you who have just tried to change the way you eat, your body immediately rebels. Why? Because it's your body and it wants what it wants and it doesn't care what your spirit wants. That's how your body functions. That's how your body functions. Praise, I'll be glad, praise the Lord when you don't. And what, what verse 12 is saying is you don't have to listen to it anymore. You don't have to. You don't have to let it rain. It does not have to be the ruler. You can tell it no. Do you think there's going to be a fight? But which side is God on? And who's more powerful? God is. Amen. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, tell it no and mean it. Stick with it. Neither yield ye your members instruments of righteousness unto God, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Why? Because you are. <laughs> okay? In verse 14 he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That's an interesting thing. We're going to get talking more about that in chapter 7. But basically, remember, law was the thing that made us made sin stand out, okay? And grace is the thing, thank the Lord, that covers sin. And that's what he's saying. Listen, you, you need to start living like God has forgiven you because he has. <coughs> you need to start living like God has changed you because he has. You need to start living like God has empowered you because he has. You don't live under the death realm anymore. You live under the life realm now. Now, so the second question, first question then was, well, so should I just keep on sinning then so that grace can keep coming? Okay, that's essentially. And then he says in verse 14, or 15, what then shall we sin? Now he doesn't say continue in sin. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Now this is also an interesting thing, and it's a question that's probably more often asked today than the first one, I believe. In other words, the idea here is, um, so in other words... My sin doesn't matter anymore? That's kind of a way to look at it. Okay? So, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? It's someone who looks at grace so completely um, foreign to how God presented it, but they look at grace and they say, oh, okay, I've got grace, so my sin, it just doesn't matter anymore. As a matter of fact, the grace is so big, it covers all my sin. So, I mean, you know... Um, you know, I mean, it looks like it's, it's really not that big a deal if I sin. Now, so let me ask you a question. Is adultery wrong according to the scriptures? Yes. I, I'm telling you that there are people who have used the idea of grace to say, and I'm telling you, independent Baptists, including pastors who have said, you know what? Adultery doesn't matter anymore. I've got grace. You, sh- you all should just ignore the fact that I committed adultery because I got grace. And you all should give me grace because God gave me grace. 
I hear what I'm saying. Now, should there be forgiveness for adultery? Is there forgiveness for adultery? Should we forgive an adulterer? Yes. That doesn't mean there's no consequences. Amen. And he goes on. He, he's, he, it's almost like the person behind Paul is answering this. It's like Paul's maybe had a few conversations now about the realm of grace in a believer's life. It sure sounds like it. But he's talking to somebody saying, oh, well, if I've got grace then, so all the bad stuff I do is really not that big a deal anymore. And Paul's saying, no, you misunderstand. Sin always leads to death. Always. Well, that's not true. Absolutely it is. Every one of you are going to die, and it's because of sin. The reason you're going to die is not because it's the natural order of things. No, that's not how God designed the planet. Sin came into the world, and that brought death with it. You understand that? Amen. Some of you are having trouble with that. The reason your body is going to lie in a grave somewhere someday, the reason Brother Luke has so much business is because of sin. It's because of sin. And I'm just telling you, thank the Lord, one day my body is going to be over in the cemetery, and that part will be over. Thank the Lord. But listen, the nature of a believer, the nature of a believer is not to tend towards death, but to tend towards life. Why? Because we are risen with Christ. Death is defeated. Life is risen. We walk in newness of life, not oldness of death. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now it's interesting. Paul is using a relationship that they all understand. He's literally using a... Now, just so everybody understands, he's not approving slavery. But he's using an illustration that every Jew understood, and it is the word slave, slavery here. He says, you can yield yourself now who you want to be a slave to. Okay? He says, and even later, look what he says in verse 19. He's kind of apologetically saying, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. I'm using an illustration you understand. I mean, he says... Follow me along here. I'm not approving one thing. I'm just talking in an illustration the way you understand. So back up to verse 16. Know ye not <coughs> that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. So you choose who you're going to serve. And he says, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. It's interesting. It's kind of interesting. As much as we like to talk about our free will, Paul is indicating here that you are always going to serve something. You are either going to serve sin and self and death, or you're going to serve God and life and righteousness. There's no in-between. There's no pause ground in there somewhere. There's no middle area where you're not doing one or the other. You are doing one or the other. You are either serving sin, sin, self, and death, or serving Christ's life and righteousness. That's just how it is. It's one or the other, okay? You were the servants of sin, verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, not pause, 
And I, I want everybody, I want an honest answer here. Not just the, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you, since salvation, have been a servant of sin? You've chosen it. I've never been. Yes, you have. You have absolutely chosen to be a... Every time you have sinned, you have been a servant to sin. You have chosen who your master is. You may not like to admit that, and I'm sorry that you have a problem with that, but if you have chosen to sin, then you have chosen to make sin your master for that moment. That's, that's how it works. Okay? Now, but ye have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered you. I'm sorry, I went back too many verses. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield, that's, a, that's an instruction, something you have, to, you, have to count, you have to do actively in your head. Yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. You have to actively do that. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. There was no righteousness there. Now look what he says in verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You remember your, So some of you might remember your life before salvation. Now I was five when I got saved. Without a doubt, I know I was saved when I was five years old. So I've had to learn a little bit about being a servant of sin after salvation. And many of you still know it works that way. Okay? Some of you got saved later in life and remember what your life was prior to salvation. And how that you were, you were under bondage in some ways. I can't believe how many people I've heard that get saved later in life that talk about this great weight lifted. I was five years old. I never saw a great weight lifted. I've had to see that in my life continuously over time. What, what, what great weight lifted? The bondage of sin. The command, the, the domineerance, if that's a word, of sin. The domineering attitude of sin. It says you were the servants of sin. And how, what, how did that work out for you? Is what he's saying. How did that work out for you? It led to death. How does sin still work out for you? Never good. Sin still leads to death. Now thank the Lord there is grace, but sin still leads to death. That's, that's how it works. You realize grace is received because we don't deserve it. If, if you deserve it, it couldn't be called grace. Grace has to come because we are sinners. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. But sin leads to death. Grace leads to righteousness. And who you choose to yield yourself to makes a big difference. And he says again, verse 21, What fruit had you then of those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, the end of everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You were without choice a servant of sin. Now you've given yourself to Jesus Christ, but because you live in the flesh, you still have a choice. You can choose at any, every, any and every moment to be the servant of Jesus Christ, which you already are, or you can choose to reject that and serve sin, and you're going to find more death in your life. And eventually we're all going to die because you have not gotten rid of that out of your body yet. It still exists. Your body still makes demands, 
that are unreasonable. Your mind and your heart and your body, the, the part of you that is all human on this planet, still makes demands and wishes and lustful, lustful desires that are unreasonable. It's why it is on purpose, as a believer, we have to choose to yield ourselves unto God. Now, what, what is Paul saying in all this? I, I just want to make this general statement, if you will. The nature of someone who is a believer is not sin. It's in the negative here. The nature of someone who is a believer is not sin. <clears throat> in other words, a believer cannot continually be in sin and be okay with that. And if, if you can, listen, if you've got a sin in your past that has never bothered you whatsoever, you're not, and you're not, con, you're not convicted at all about getting it right, then according to Romans 6, your status as a believer needs to come into question. If you can continually live in sin and not be bothered by that, that's a problem. Because the nature of a believer is not sin. The nature of a believer is newness of life. The nature of someone who is a Christ follower, who associates with the risen life of Christ, is the newness of walk like Christ. Now, am I saying that you'll never sin? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. You, you, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to use it as an excuse, but we do live in the flesh. We are, we are weak people. Well, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are going to sin. I'm not giving an excuse to sin. That's kind of what this is covering. I'm not trying to give an excuse to sin. But the nature of a believer is not good with sin. I can't be okay with it. That's what Romans 6 is all about. A person who has, been, who has met Jesus Christ and has the love of God shed abroad in their hearts, his nature now is not, oh, sin's okay. I'm okay with that. Let's just keep right on going with sin. No, that's not okay. Well, you all just need to ignore my sin because, you know, there's plenty of grace. No, that's not okay either. But the Bible has given quite clear directions through Jesus Christ and through Paul and through Peter about what are we to do with our sin? Through John? Because we do sin. Even John, we've had this conversation. John speaks in these black and whites. You know, Whosoever is born of God doth not sin. What is he saying? The nature of a Christian is not to sin. And then he turns right around and says, but if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Why? Because we still sin as believers, but now it's our choice. It's our choice. Now, Amen. There's lots of applications we could make. Lots and lots of applications. But I'm just tell you, in, in times like we are in right now, election times, COVID times, all those things that we're in, okay? All, these, all the troubles that we're in, all the things that we're seeing, the nature is for us to respond naturally. I'm just telling you. Our nature is responding. This is what we do. We find the, the news reporter that's telling us what we want to hear. We get on social media and we listen to the people who the, we want to hear what they're saying. We, we uh, listen, for whatever situation we'll put in, whether it be election, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be who's going to win the World Series. I mean, whatever it is, we, we follow the people that we want to hear. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we have to fight against that. We have to purposefully, as believers, choose to yield ourselves not unto whatever the flesh wants, because the flesh essentially wants what it wants, and it leads to sin, and it leads to death. 
We need to fight against it and purposefully yield ourselves unto God. Amen. We've got some hard decisions. I'm just telling you. I, I don't like the way that the, the United States is going today. Uh, I, as an American citizen, I'm greatly, greatly bothered by it. But as a believer, there's something I have to do is begin, begin to realize that my American citizenship is, I mean, sorry, my, my citizenship in heaven is not one whit affected by my American citizenship and how the status of this country goes. It's not one whit affected. Now, my freedom to worship in this place might be affected, but my freedom to worship is not. I can worship God with or without the approval of any government. Amen. I can do right according to the scriptures with or without the approval of any government or any authority. Amen. We are believers. Believers, amen, believers by definition, are not sinners. People who live in sin. Yes, we still sin. Take care of it. Deal with it. Be honest with your brothers. Amen. Be honest with your brethren about the status of your own life. Amen. Admit it when you sin. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. I'm just telling you, it's a hard thing, even as a pastor, to think about. Somehow we've made this idea that pastors somehow, they're, they're some different species of Christian. No, they're a sheep. We're a member of the church. We're subject to the same disciplines of the church. We're subject to the same, to the same encouragement from the church. We're subject to the same rebuking and exhortation and edification from the church. We're subject to the same interaction and fellowship of the church. Preachers are a sheep who for some reason God has said, I'm going to use you also as a bit of a shepherd. I have no idea why. And it makes no sense. The Bible says not many noble are chosen. I, sometimes I agree with that. Well, a lot of times I agree with that. But it's not, God's the one that picked it. God's the one that chose it. I, I'm not, the preacher is no better than anyone else. Now he's supposed to be an example to the believers, but he's still just a sheep. And I think we, we've got this idea that, you know, the, the highest part of a Christian you can be is reached to be a deacon or to be a preacher. No, they're all sheep. And they're all human. And they're all subject to the failures of the flesh. Amen. And it would be good for us to look at each other and help each other in this area to yield to the Spirit and not yield to the flesh. You can yield yourself to sin or you can yield yourself to grace one way or the other. Romans 6 says, but the nature of a believer Sin is not the leader here. Amen. Amen. Dear Father.